Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. Today is part two in the conclusion of a great interview with Fred Stoker, uh, Fred's ministry is to help men get free from sexual sin and then teach their children how to remain free. And his book, Preparing Your Son for Every Man's Battle, is actually a book about teaching both sons and daughters how to win this battle. If you missed any of the prior episodes, you need to go back and catch up because Fred laid out some great concepts from his book. And today is the conclusion of this interview. I can't emphasize enough the importance of paying attention taking notes making sure that you prepare your family for this addiction that is so rampant in today's society it will pay dividends going forward into the future not just your children but their children's children as well amen so let's jump back into the interview now in the conclusion of this great interview with fred stoker what are some of what you call the rules of the game that we need to be aware of when discussing this subject with our children? Well, as you're, as I said, in the first half of the game, we get really, we're kind of, we're kind of the boss of the home, right? And we tell everybody what they can and they can't do. But in the second half, uh, we need to get down on their level. And one of the things I found is that, uh, you know, I was listening to uh, James Dobson a radio broadcast once, and he had literally a linguist on. And you, know, you might say, what does the linguist have to do with this? But one of the things that that man said that changed my life as a parent was that he said that because of the brain structure and the way men think that guys can most be reached, their hearts can best be reached through story. And it's just, if you try to preach it, man, a lot of times they kind of can shut down because you can't really reach their emotions through their logic. But if you tell a good story, you can reach their emotions. And I mean, I've, I've had people tell stories to me, missions, trips, whatever. And it gets me to the point where my heart's really behind missions, for instance. Well, yeah. uh, when it comes to this sort of thing, what we really need to think about is we need to be able to share the stories of our lives where we can reach our boys' hearts, not just their minds, because they're going to have to be fully committed to purity if they're ever going to stand, okay? So one of the things, you know, getting getting to your question is one of the things that uh, I decided to do was to go through a book called Preparing Your Son for, or excuse me, Preparing for Adolescence by James Dobson, because it it talked about the whole thing about uh, getting into middle school and how everything changes because everybody's now on stage and, and uh, cliques begin to form between people, all that sort of a thing. 
And I wanted to prepare my kids for that so that when it happened, they wouldn't be shocked. And one of the other reasons why I wanted to go through a book like that is it would give me a launching point to talk about my own stories. So essentially preparing your kids revolves around doing book with them or or going through a book with them. And, and this is how I used to set it up to really open them to my thoughts. And so uh, we have this um, room that we call grandma's room uh, because that's where grandma used to stay before she passed away. But whenever she visited our house, that's where it was. And so when I would go into that room with one of my children to go through the book, um, what I would do is I would allow my child to have the seat of honor. They got to sit up on the bed where I would sit on the floor in the corner because there were no chairs in there. It's kind of a small room. And um, so that's number one. And then number two, I had a rule that there would be no um, correcting them or talking to them in a negative way about their behavior at school or uh, things I've been seeing, you know, that's wrong in their character. None of that would happen there. Uh, that was just a place for us to connect as two Christian brothers and sisters, kind of like you would with a friend around a campfire. So I wanted to have it be a place where it's easy to talk, uh, where there was no apprehension as we're heading towards grandma's room. And uh, so I was trying to build a place that would be kind of a friendly place to swap stories, because as I said earlier, the linguist said it's, you know, guys especially uh, reach each other's hearts by swapping stories. So um, that's what I did. And so what we what we did is we would go in and we would kind of take our positions like that. We would read, um, oh, you know, Jason, my firstborn, for instance, he would have a copy of the book. I would have a copy of the book. And I would just glance through and say, hey, let's read uh, three or four pages. And I would tell him to read up till this point. We would read up to that point. While he was reading, he was just reading. But when I was reading, I would be underlying words or phrases that would remind me of stories in my past. Like, for instance, one day we were talking about being made fun of in school. And uh, I underlined a couple of things there to remind me of some stories that I wanted to share with Jason. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then my hope is uh, afterwards is that as I would go first and share those stories, then he would share whatever's going on with him. One of the things we need to understand as we do this process is that our kids kind of see us as bigger than life. Uh, we've always been the ones with the control. And so it's really important for us to go first in this situation, to share our stories first, because they already feel weak, in a sense, compared to us, and we're strong. I mean, my kids would always think to themselves, I've talked to them about it, but, you know, dad never dad never has any trouble following the rules. He never has any trouble following the boundaries. He's kind of a superstar as a Christian, right? And the only way you're going to get a young man to admit to something to a big strong man is to go first and say, yeah, I remember what it was like to be weak. And so um, that's what we did. And I'd love to share the story about what happened when we went through uh, yeah. that part of the book. Man, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, we were talking about how when you get to middle school, especially sixth grade, seventh grade, right in there that 
cliques start to form and people start to make fun of each other more. Before that, in elementary school, kind of everybody likes everybody and it's just a real more pleasant experience. Um, and so I was talking to Jason about that and I, <clears throat> I said to him, you know, uh, when I was young, they used to call me cowboy because I had really bowed legs and it looked like I've been riding a horse for the last seven months, right? Um, I also, uh, you know, got made of, made fun of for a few other things, but, you know, that one really uh, kind of struck his heart because, you know, he knows what that's, what that would be like. And we laughed about it though. Uh, but I said, you know, at the time, it really kind of hurt because, you know, you're different and everybody's pointing it out. And and then I asked him a question. Uh, I said, son, do you ever get made fun of? And honestly, because he's my firstborn and I just love him to death and I uh, I just think he's perfect. Uh, I was expecting, expecting him to say, no, I, I don't get made fun of. Um, but this is what he said. He said, dad, I get made fun of every single day on the bus. Mm, wow. And yeah. I mean, instantly, Bob, you might imagine, I mean, kind of a rage. <laughs> came yeah, up I now, now the yeah, protector yeah. comes out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I just want, I started to, uh, you know, really growl about it. And say, I'm going to go to that bus tomorrow and I'm going to straighten this out. And, you know, it kind of started to go on and on. And uh, Jason said, Dad, Dad, it's okay. It's okay. It really is. Uh, and I said, well, what do you mean it's okay? And he said, dad, it, I just, everybody has something they could get made fun of for, and I'm just not going to take part in it. And I, I remember I just bowed my head and I thought, my son is wiser than I am. <laughs> and here, here you've got this 12 year old kid saying something that wise. And two things happened in that moment. Number one, my son realized that I understand where he lives, okay? He knows I've been made fun of, and suddenly his view of me changes. At the same time, I hear that story from my son, and I realize he's not a boy anymore. This kid belongs in the world of men. And I remember thinking, I need to start dealing with him in a different way. And you see, this process of going through books with your kids enlightens both of you. It doesn't just enlighten your kids. You get to see the real person on the other side of the book that you're reading with. And uh, it, it literally changes your life. And yeah. um, that's the connection I'm talking about that you need to form with your kids if you're ever going to be have the will be having the conversations that you can both really learn from. Um, I mentioned earlier that since we don't live with them day to day, all day long, you need to have moments in time that are intentional where you can get this job done. Well, that's what doing book is. I've got, I've got a ton of stories, Bob. I don't know how much time you have, but I, I've got a few more I'd like to share if you'd like to. Uh, sure, hear them. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so, you know, then you get to the point where, in the book, uh, Preparing Your Son, or not Preparing Your Son, but Preparing for Adolescence by James Dobson, there came the part of the book where you're going to have to talk about intercourse and what that is, all right? So I, I remember there were a number of nights where I just chickened out because it's like, 
ugh, who wants to talk about this to their 12-year-old, right? And uh, my wife was just terrified for me. She's like, oh, I wouldn't want to have this job. So anyway, I go up and, and uh, you know, Dobson, he explains it in oh, a pretty clinical way. He talks about coming together and, you know, sliding in and, um, you know, tingling feelings until, uh, you know, until it's over. And I remember, uh, I remember my son just staring at me. And then he said, dad, is that, is that really true? And I said, yeah, it's true. He said, do you and mom do this? And I said, well, I'm afraid so. And uh, he burst out laughing so hard, his uh, stomach started to hurt. He, he fell off the bed laughing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a great memory that we have. But, you know, I want to point out that there's a lot of fun in this. And, of course, um, you're going to feel nervous at times, but that's okay. Uh, because you're going to be sharing things that are kind of wild and way outside their mind. Uh, but it has to be talked about. I remember when my daughter, Laura, you know, you had mentioned earlier that you knew from the book that this is for both sons and daughters. And it is. If you want to talk to your daughter about this, this 10 chapter parent section is really important, but so when she started to reach the age of dating, uh, man, I mean, it seemed like all sorts of human stallions were circling, you know, like <laughs> we're going to get into this, uh, this girl's corral and, and uh, get to know her. And of course, I'm like, I'm hearing some of those stallions names way too often at dinner tables and things. And I'm like, who are these creepy guys? And because I don't like them right away, right from the start, right? Amen. And so I thought to myself, you know what, I need to go through, I need to go through a book with her. Uh, and because so, I need to tell her that dating isn't just entertainment, because I could tell that's what she was thinking. And so I actually got two books. Uh, one was kind of stood against dating, uh, you know, too early. And the other one was I gave dating a chance. And so I was going to go through both mindsets because I really don't care. I don't really care what the authors say totally. I mean, I want them to be Christian. I want them to have uh, a godly worldview. But the most important thing that you're looking for is as you're going through the book, you want to underline things that remind you of the stories from your past. And so as we started to go through this book there, you know, I, I began to share some stories and I was actually surprised by the emotions that would come up as I would share these stories. I mean, um, I'm not going to get into the details because we're, we're just on a podcast and, you know, there's, yeah. there's limited time, yeah. but one of the things that um, uh, happened to me, there was one time where, um, you know, there was a girl I really respected and really liked, but I had been raised in a home without a dad. And uh, basically I would been raised by Hollywood when it came to romance and, and, um, my understanding at the time was that if you love someone, you express it uh, by touching them uh, in places that you don't normally touch people, right? And so um, I remember my hand started to roam and this girl stood up and barked at me and said, get out. And I thought you were different from all the other guys. You aren't. You're a pig. 
basically kicked me out. Well, as I shared that story, I began to weep uh, because it, it still hurts today what she said and what I realized about myself. I mean, I didn't know, but I sure knew after that night. Uh, and, you know, Laura was deeply touched by my tears. And I shared a couple of other stories that where I ended up crying. I, I, I didn't even realize, but those stories were very painful. And um, a couple of nights later, she came to me. It was another night where we were going to do book. And she said, Dad, before we start tonight, uh, I just want to tell you I've made a decision. And I said, well, what's that? She said, you know what? I really want to be a veterinarian and I don't want anything to get in the way of my studies. So I've decided that at least for high school, I'm going to just kind of skip the dating scene, focus on my schoolwork. And um, because she said, I can tell from what you went through that dating isn't just fun and games. There's a lot of emotions to it, a lot of pain to it. And that's my point, isn't it? Uh, as we swap our stories and share with them what the truth is, they get the opportunity to make wise decisions on their own before they Amen. make mistakes. Who is she yeah. today? She's a veterinarian and a PhD and working at a very high level job. She got her dream without going through all that rotten pain in high school. So yeah. again, what we're looking for is the opportunity to swap those stories and to convey the information they need in order to be wise stewards of, of uh, their Christianity. Amen. Amen. You also, in your book, you discuss this in the section, treat her like your sister. Yes. Uh, just explain that for us. Yeah. I mean, um, in the Bible, uh, I think Paul was writing to Timothy and he was talking about uh, that we need to treat young women like we would our sister, which would mean not, not touching them, right? No uh, incest. And um, one of the things that I taught my boys early was you need to treat all girls at school like they're your sister. You need to treat them with utmost respect and uh, treat them in the way you would want your sister treated. Now, I didn't come up with that on my own. That's the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, right? So, uh, but I think we need to make sure that we're using scripture and tying that in as we're swapping our stories so that, again, they know how to apply scripture on a day-to-day -day basis and uh, how it looks in practice. Amen. And you also share a lot of information on the section, the eyes have it. Yes. And can you talk about that as part of the transformation from boyhood to manhood as it relates to what you're discussing? Yeah, I sure can. Um you see, there's two sections of the book, uh, and the first part, as I've already mentioned, is, is the, um, you know, the 10-chapter parent section. Then there's the second half of the book, which is actually kind of a book you can go through with your boys and girls, all right? So at the time I began doing book with my kids, I didn't have a book that I could go through with my son. Uh to really deal with the issues of what it's like to be a guy and going through junior high or middle school and high school. Uh, so the funny thing was, is then by the time I wrote Preparing Your Son, I was able to put that parent section on the front end, but to put 
the actual book you're going through under the same covers as the second half of the book. So, um, and as a matter of fact, I use preparing your son for my own son, Michael. Uh, and we went through this same information that you're referring to. So when I, when we say that the eyes have it, one of the things that we really need to train our sons early on is that uh, the male eye can draw sexual gratification uh, straight from their environment. I mean, I can still remember her. There was a girl back in math class back in middle school, and she used to come in the wintertime with these really tight sweaters, and she was really developed early. And uh, I I used to, I couldn't keep my eyes off her. And of course, I'm sure to some extent that was part of her, maybe that's what she Tent. wanted. Yeah. Right. And um, right. so one of the things that's important to teach young men is that their eyes can do that and to, to train their eyes. Um, one of the things uh, with Michael, my youngest son, uh, one of the things that once happened was we were he was uh, shopping with Brenda at a, at a mall and his two sisters. And when they got home after that, um, yeah, I heard you know, I was downstairs writing and. I could tell that they'd come in, that they were happy. They'd been shopping. I could hear them laughing. The, the two girls then ran up to the next floor, but then there was silence in the kitchen above me. And I just thought, well, Brenda was doing something. Michael was doing something. But as it turns out, there's a pretty heavy conversation going on because Michael went up to Brenda, hugged her from behind and uh, said, uh, you know, basically was just expressing his heart. And Brenda turned around and said, well, I love you too, Michael. And then he looked her right in the eye and he asked this question, mom, how do you get pictures of women in their underwear out of your brain? And talk about a shocking question. Brenda responded as most wives would. And she just said, you know, I think that's a good question for your dad. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to send you down there in a minute, but can you tell me what pictures of women in your, in their underwear are you talking about? And he said, well, we were walking past the secret store at the mall, which is Victoria's Secret. He didn't even know the name of it, but he remembered the word secret. And he said, you know, I looked into that window and I can't get those pictures out of my mind all day. And if you've done any research on the male eye, when men look at something sensual, there's a chemical release that happens that literally locks that image into your brain for the rest of your life. You don't remember it every day, but you can remember it anytime you want. And Michael was experiencing that for the first time. He was 11 at the time. So when he came downstairs to talk to me about it and told me what happened, I didn't attach any shame to it. Uh, there's no shame to it. I mean, every guy on earth has to, at some point, uh, learn how to control his sexuality. I mean, you you know, you're coming up to puberty, you go through puberty, you move on. And uh, whether it's when you're 52 or 22 or 12, you've got to learn how to control it. And so uh, all I did was explain to him, you know, how the male eye works. And I told him how I handle situations like that. I said, you know, I know where that secret store is. So when I'm at the mall, as I approach it, I just look the other way. And I bounce my eyes away from that uh, window and I never really look at that stuff. And uh, he was so relieved. I mean, he didn't know, he didn't have any idea why his eye was doing what it was doing. He wasn't at the mall. 
looking for something to lust over. He's just an 11-year-old boy minding his own business, but his eyes do what they're supposed to do because that's how they were created. And so what we need to do is teach our boys how our eyes work. And that's part of this whole entire process. Again, if you noticed, I swapped stories with him about what I do, right? Uh, he was swapping his story about what, about what happened at the mall. We were able to connect on that in a very easy way and uh, in a way where there's no shame. And I'm not barking at him to say, knock that off next time you go by that window. You know, it's just a couple of guys being guys, swapping stories and learning from each other. And I think that that's the best way for parents to connect with their kids on this topic because it's a highly charged topic, right? And we need to just be fair and say, look, I know it was hard and now my son's finding it hard. And so let's deal with it. As you're, you're going through this with your children, how did they respond? Like as the next child, son or daughter was being led to grandma's room for the first time. I mean, was there, <laughs> was there teasing like, oh, here you go, or anything? Uh, was no. there teasing or like well, that going on? <laughs> well, actually, I don't think it was teasing. Uh, I, although I will say Jason, the oldest, he knows how to tease. And I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was kind of an honored place. And um, so there wasn't a lot of teasing from him. However, each child is different, right? They have different temperaments. So my daughter, Laura, which is next in line, I mean, she's kind of the suspicious one. And so what she immediately thought was, oh, and she literally said it out loud to me. She said, I suppose this is a, this is one of those nights where we're going to talk about all the things that are wrong about Laura. And <laughs> what a stinker. And I, I said, no, absolutely not. We're going to talk about we're not going to talk about anything like that. And um, so as we kind of got into it, it didn't take very long before she realized how much fun it, it actually is. My my daughter, Rebecca, uh, she was really into, oh, just she was kind of young for her age. And she's just really into playing. She's really, oh, her Disney movies, all that. And um, the night that it was her night for the first time, I interrupted her in a movie she was watching. Oh, boy, was she a grouch. And uh, <laughs> as we got in there, you know, she was just sighing big sighs and acting like she wasn't having any fun. And and uh, she did that another night. But two weeks later, um, she was uh, washing dishes in the kitchen with Brenda. And she just turned to her mom and said, you know, going through these books with dad is my favorite thing in my life right now. Hey, and man. so... If you set it up right, where it feels like a campfire, where you're just sharing stories, um, even your suspicious ones, even your ones that think it's going to be a bore, um, you know, they're going to end up liking it because why? They need the information and there's nothing crabby or dangerous in that room. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, I remember my my son, Michael, the first time well, we, we had a rule that we kind of used it as fun. But, you know, you don't get to go to grandma's room till you start to grow grass under your arms. Right. <laughs> so he came to me one night and he said, hey, dad, dad, I really need to talk to you. Can we go to grandma's room? Well, it hadn't been his time to start. And I can assure you he had no grass under his arms. 
but he was desperate and I could see it in his face. And so I said, well, sure, let's go on down there. And so we got down there and said, what's up? And he burst into tears. You see, he had just found out that his uncle Brent and aunt Debbie were going to get divorced. And he, he was just churning inside needed to talk about it and he said what's going to happen to nick which was his cousin and what's going to happen to christina and michelle and so you know it was uh it was an amazing moment bob because you know i had i had built a place where my kids knew they could come in a dark time and even when it wasn't their time they could kind of reach into the future, pull themselves in and say, I still need this room now. And I would be able to have that place where they knew it was safe to go talk and when their hearts were churning and breaking. So, um, I mean, it takes intentionality, Bob. I mean, it's not every night. We would just do it maybe two, three nights a week uh, while we were going through a book. And then there might be a gap time between books uh, so, you know, and the older they got, get into high school, there's so much homework, maybe it'd be one night a week, but it doesn't really matter. Um, you just have to understand there's not any real work to it. And it's just one of those things that the importance is not to start a book and finish it. There were a number of books we never finished at all, uh, but I got the story swapped that I wanted swapped and then we would move on. Amen. How did this help your relationships once they left home? Bob, I can't even begin to tell you uh, the impact on my relationships. Um, I shared with you the story earlier, uh, you know, about how Jason immediately began to look like he belonged in the world of men. And he saw me as someone who knows where he lives. Well, just that alone, you know, you're going to be able to talk more easily. But one of the things that I found is that once you've talked about sexual things with your kids, you can talk about anything and they're comfortable to talk to you about anything because they know that you have wisdom, that you know where they live. And uh, I remember when Laura moved off in this course she was 23 by now uh still single but she had just graduated from uh drake university and was going down to north carolina state for vet school and she asked if we could still do books sometimes and she said do you think it's possible to do it by phone and i said well i don't know but let's see and so, you know, I would tell her Amen. what pages to read. She'd read them. I'd read them before we jump on the phone. And then I just jump on the phone and start talking about it. And so um, this connection is great. And, and my kids will tell you, um, I'm as good a friend as anybody they've got. Uh, mm -hmm. They've got other friends. Obviously, I'm not their only friend, but um, I'm a good one. And here's the thing, Bob. When your kids are growing up, uh, middle school, high school, college, they're going to have a lot of voices speaking to them. Uh, a lot of those voices are going to be speaking evil things, uh, absurd things, things that make no sense, but that kids can get duped into believing. And your voice has to be the loudest one in their life, not because you're shouting at them the loudest, but because you're connecting with them best and yeah. able to share with them 
the things they need to know. And so I don't know. I know my son, Jason, he's now 38. And uh, like I said, he's got kids that are 12, 14. They're doing book. So it's become kind of a stoker thing. My grandkids are starting to learn the things that they need to know as they're aging through their lives. So um, I love it. I mean, he loves it enough. He loved it enough that he's doing it himself. So I think that tells you a little bit about uh, what it was like, too. Amen. Amen. That's Fred. This is so fascinating. How can someone obtain a copy of your book, Preparing Your Son for a Men's Battle? Is it on Amazon? Um, yeah, it's all the normal places you buy books. Okay. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can also go to fredstoker.com and buy it from me out of my office. But it uh, doesn't matter where you get it from. Obviously, it's just I hope you get it because I, I, I want you to learn how to do it well. And to have that impact on your kids and to be able to talk to them like I can talk to mine. Amen. Amen. If someone wanted to get in touch with you to ask a question, get more information, or maybe do an interview like this, how can they do that? How can someone get in touch with yeah, you? Yeah, you can just go to fredstoker.com again, and there is a contact spot where you can just send me an email. Amen. I'll put links all that in the show notes below. Folks, Fred's been on this program a few times and sharing <laughs> absolutely valuable godly information on marriage, manhood, family, and some of the trials, tests, and problems that men and women as well face in this day and time that we're living in right now. I urge you, drop down to the show notes right now. Click the links right there. Get in touch with Fred Stoker. Check out his website. There's a lot of valuable information right there at, at your fingertips at his website on this and other subject matter as well. But I'll put the links to a few of Fred's other books in the show notes. Also, you definitely need to order your copy of this book, preparing your son for every man's battle. If you have a school age son, this is very important. I also recommend you pick up one or all of the books that we've covered this as far as well. I mean, these books, these books will help to make sure you have godly marriages and that, that it's hugely successful in avoiding a lot of the pitfalls of pornography and other things that the devil will use to, try and trip up even well-meaning Christians in this day and time. So Fred, I just thank you for right, first writing these books and then coming on the program today and discussing them. And I look forward to our next interview, brother. <laughs> Bob, you know, uh, as I said, you're my favorite. I love to be <laughs> in your, on your podcast. So um, thanks. I really loved sharing what I was sharing this morning because I don't know that any of my books have had a bigger impact on my kids than that one. And um, I just appreciate you opening the door for me. Amen. Praise God. Folks, that is all the time we have for today. For Fred Stoker, myself, Pastor Bob, reminding you to be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you.